For tonight's reading is Ruth 4, page 269. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so, but if you will not, tell me. So I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilon, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead and his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. 
Well, good evening. Uh, welcome. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Particularly welcome if, you've, uh, if you're visiting or this is your first time here. Uh, we'll see some tea and coffee afterwards. Please do uh, join us for that. I'd love to be able to say hello to you if you are uh, new this evening. Um, we're finishing the series in Ruth. We've had four weeks in it. We had a break last week, uh, finishing uh, episode four of, of Ruth tonight. Um, and it's been a, a wonderful journey as we've seen uh, Ruth and Naomi and the love uh, that Ruth and Naomi have had for each other. And so we're going to pray together as we have a look at this final chapter. So let's, let's pray uh, and ask our Heavenly Father uh, his ability to understand uh, his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, how you've been speaking to all of us over the last four weeks from the Old Testament book of Ruth. We thank you, Father, for putting Ruth in the Bible. Would you speak to us again uh, this evening? Would you help us to see more of the Lord Jesus and would our hearts swell with love for him? And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So over, over the last few months, uh, darkness has fallen on the lives of a number of Christians here at City. If you're connected to City and you're involved, you might know some of these people. Some of our parents have fallen ill with serious medical conditions, or they've begun to just decline just because of old age, and that's not going to reverse. Uh, dear members at City Church have received unexpected medical diagnoses, which is serious. Some of the people we've, we love and care for have passed away. And those are the only things that we know about or I know about. There might be so many other things that are here even this evening uh, in your lives where you are w- walking through periods of darkness in life, whether that is loneliness or depression or anxiety or bereavement, whatever it is, you know, and the Lord God also knows as well. And so Ruth uh, gives us a, a, a vision about what Christians should think and do when dark times descend on them. Because when dark times descend on you in life, it is very hard to see the way forward. And so Ruth chapter 4 is just a wonderful encouragement for all those who are walking through uh, dark times or those people who aren't but are supporting others who are walking through dark times. Because Ruth 4 encourages us that even when God's people go through dark times in their life, there is still hope. There is still hope. And that's why the series has been called Hope in the Darkness. That even though life can be really dark with circumstances beyond our control, there is hope in that darkness. So first of all, our redemption is costly, verses four, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verses 1 uh, to 12. We've had a bit of a two-week break from Ruth. Here's the story so far, if you've not been with us over the last few weeks. So Naomi and her, and her family, so Naomi was married to Limelech. They had two sons, Marlon and Kilion. Uh, they were living in Bethlehem, but because of a severe famine, they moved eastwards to a neighboring country of Moab because uh, there was food in Moab, but there was a famine in Bethlehem. But while in Moab, just disaster struck. So Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died in Moab. And then 10 years later, after two sons had married, but had remained childless, 10 years later, uh, both her two sons, Marlon and Kilion, also died. You don't want to be Naomi standing over the gravesides of three of the men you dearly love, your husband and your two sons. No one should have to bury their own children. And that's what she did. And so darkness descended onto Naomi, just the darkness of life. 
But then Naomi heard that the famine in Bethlehem had been lifted uh, by the Lord. And so she returned home uh, with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. So Ruth was married to one of Naomi's sons, Marlon, and she, uh, they returned to um, Bethlehem. And as she walked through the gates of Bethlehem, she declared that she had left Bethlehem full. In other words, she had a husband and two sons. And now when she was returning, she was returning empty. And no husbands and no sons. She said, actually, rename me. Uh, I used to be known as Naomi, and that means pleasance in Hebrew. Rename me. Name me Mara, which means bitter. My life is bitter because of these things. And a conclusion to why her life was bitter was because the Lord God had brought her back empty. She said that the Lord God was in control uh, even when her husband and two sons died. Chapter 2 sees uh, Ruth, an amazing woman who wants to provide for her mother-in-law. And so she goes out and gleans the leftover grain in the fields around Bethlehem. And as it turns out, she chooses the field of a man called Boaz. And Boaz was a godly man who obeyed the Old Testament law. And so he showed incredible kindness to Ruth, this foreigner. Not only just a foreigner, but a, an enemy. So Moabite, uh, Moab was to Israel uh, that, you know, um, what the Taliban might be to the USA. It's that kind of, of hatred between each other. And yet he shows great kindness to this Moabite woman by allowing her, providing with her food to take home, not just for her, but also for her mother-in-law, Naomi. And when when Ruth returns to Naomi, she reveals, Naomi reveals that Boaz is one of the family's guardian redeemers. In other words, a guardian redeemer in that culture was someone who was related, uh, not so much within the family, but within the clan, uh, and they would rescue their relatives from dire circumstances. That's what a guardian redeemer uh, role was, to rescue their relatives uh, if they're in poverty uh, or if they're uh, facing injustice. And then chapter 3 sees Naomi cooking up a plan for, for Ruth to go to, the, to Boaz's workplace. He was on the threshing floor and to ask him to fulfill his duty of guardian redeemer to, by marrying Ruth. And that would mean both Naomi and Ruth would be provided for in that, because in that culture, women could not work. And so if you could not work, you could not earn money and you couldn't buy food to eat. And so Boaz agrees this marriage proposal, uh, but there's a snag. And we don't know all the details, but there seems to be some rules about the guardian redeemer, meaning that those who were closer, more closely related, had first refusal of being guardian redeemer. And it seems as though Boaz was second in line because there was someone, a guardian redeemer, who is more closely related to Naomi's uh, uh, dead husband, Elimelech, than Boaz was. And that's where we left in chapter 3. Boaz wants to marry Ruth, but there's a chance that they may never marry if that guardian redeemer who's more closely related says, actually, I will redeem Ruth. And so it's all on, on a knife edge at the moment. So as chapter 4 opens, Boaz is a man on a mission. He leaves the threshing floor, his workplace. He travels up to Bethlehem and he sits down at the gate. And so when we think of a town gate, we just think of a place where people just walk in, walk out, not particularly important. But back then, the town gate was so much more important 
because at the town gate there's loads of different rooms there's a complex of rooms surround the town gate and and the town gate was where, where the law court was it's where the estate agent was it's all rolled into one so if you wanted to buy land you go to the town gate not to the estate agents because the estate agent was actually in that town gate it's where everything happened in the town and so Boaz sits down and sitting means that he's there to do legal business. And everyone knows if you sit down at the town gate, there's something going on. And guess who appears at the town gate? It's the guardian redeemer who's first in line. What are the chances? But the whole of Ruth has been teaching us that it isn't a coincidence. It isn't a lucky circumstance. Instead, it is God's sovereign hand at work here. It just so happens that the guardian redeemer who's first in line comes along And Boaz is sitting there. And we never find out the guardian redeemer's name. So let's call him Mr. So-and-so. And so so Boaz calls Mr. So-and-so over to him. And he sits down. Both of them realize something's going to go down business-wise. And Boaz then rounds up ten of the elders of Bethlehem as witnesses. And what what he's about to do, verse 3. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. And you can see the pound signs just explode in Mr. So-and-so's eyes. Great, I get a piece of land, and there's going to be an initial outlay, that's fine, but it'll be a nice little earner later on. I know that Naomi comes as a part of the package of the land, but, and I know she'll be another mouth to feed. But you know what? Naomi's quite old. She won't live forever. Once she passes away, the piece of land will turn into a nice little profit. That sounds really great to me. Of course I will, I will redeem it, Mr. Soto replies, and he just rubs his hand together. He knows there's some money there in, in, in the deal. And then Boaz does something quite, quite, uh, quite subtle. Uh, he, he mentions there's, there's something else as part of the deal, verse 5. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also require Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And I can imagine Mr. So-and-so's face just falling as he thinks through the implications. Well, I've got to um, marry Ruth. Well, that's another mouth to feed on top of Naomi. And Ruth is young enough to have a child. That's another mouth to feed. That's more money. And if Ruth produces a male heir, then because of the laws of the land, I can't keep the land because the son will inherit the land. And Mr. So-and-so works out the price of redeeming the land is too costly and might actually lead to his financial disaster. And so he concludes, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. And you know what? I think Mr. So-and-so makes a very sensible decision. If he bought the piece of land, then he might have bankrupted himself. He's not being mean, he's just being pragmatic. But the cost doesn't put Boaz off. He's ready to bear the cost. And the reason he's willing to bear the cost of redemption, the cost of buying back, is found in verse 10. In order to maintain the name of the dead, i.e. Elimelech, with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. 
In that culture, if your name disappeared from Israel, it was as if you ceased to exist. But if your name carried on, then it's almost as if you achieved life after death. That's, the, that's what's going on here. Your name continuing is almost saying, I'm still part of God's people. I've not ceased to exist. In a certain sense, there is life after death if my name continues. And Boaz paid the cost of redemption and he made himself poorer so that Elimelech's name would continue to live amongst God's people. And Boaz is just a small picture of our truer and greater guardian redeemed, the Lord Jesus. He redeemed the land and Ruth was a costly financial decision for Boaz. But it was nothing compared to Jesus redeeming us. You know, Boaz's redemption cost him money, but Jesus' redemption has cost him his very life. The currency that Jesus used to redeem us was measured in liters of his own precious blood. And that blood was shed for us when he died on the cross, when he was acting as our guardian redeemer, as he died on that cross at Calvary. And that was the price Jesus paid to redeem us, to buy us back from the sins that we've committed that had enslaved us. And that was the redemption price that was necessary to transform someone from an enemy of God to become a friend of God and to have a hope of life after death within God's people. And it was the costliest redemption price ever paid. And Jesus willingly paid it for us. And because Jesus redeemed us, it means that we are guaranteed life after death. Well, our name's not going to disappear in the annals of history and not be remembered. We're going to have a new, a new life in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's a reminder of how costly the redemption we enjoy actually is. It's not, uh, the Lord Jesus loved us so much that he's willing to give up his life to redeem you and to redeem me from my sins. He had to die to do that. And it moves us not to think great things of ourselves. He didn't do it because we're worth it. Because we're not. But it moves us to great th- think great things of the Lord Jesus. Christians are the objects of divine love that is deep and long and wide and high. And we are more loved than we dare imagine because of our, our glorious God and Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. If you're drawn to the picture of Boaz, actually... Uh, you're drawn to the bigger picture, the truer picture of the Lord Jesus who, who, who sacrifices co- in costly ways to redeem us. If you're looking into Christianity then, I wonder whether that might have passed you by a little bit, whether you, whether you understand or not about why Jesus had to die. Because if you believe in God, uh, you, you might think that he would automatically accept you and actually you're a pretty good person. And so if you passed away tonight, uh, that God would welcome you with open arms. And I think that's a fairly common view uh, that people have. My dad, who isn't a Christian, I tried to talk to him about Jesus a couple of weeks ago. Uh, He thinks all he needs to do is die and God will welcome him home. But the Bible says that human beings are God's enemies. That's what the Bible says. And we're enemies because of our sin. And sin in the Bible is a word for human beings deciding to live their own lives without reference to God. It's deciding, uh, even though God is our rightful ruler, 
I'm going to step onto his throne and I'm going to live my life and not allow him to tell me how I live. And some of us do that very antagonistically, while others do it very sort of politely and just ignore God and just go our own way. And our sin has placed us into spiritual debt. And either we pay for that spiritual debt after we die, or we cry out to Lord Jesus, our God, a guardian redeemer, to redeem us, to pay the price for that spiritual debt to buy us back. And so I want to say to you, if you are looking to Christianity, if you die tonight, then you would stand before God, not automatically as his friend, but as his enemy because of sin. And, and in the same way as me, in the same way as any other Christian that you know, you need a redeemer, a guardian redeemer, to redeem you from your sins. You need Jesus. And if you don't, if you don't remember anything else uh, from this sermon tonight, then I want you to remember that, that you're not automatically friends with God, and you need to make a decision. Either you pay for your sins, or you ask Jesus, the guardian redeemer, to pay for you. Second, uh, God is plotting for our good, even in the darkest times, verses 13 to 17. And so before we read verses 13 to 17, let's just remember, remind ourselves of Naomi's anguished words after the death of her husband and two sons. Have a look back in chapter 1 and verse 20, if you flick back, chapter 1 and verse 20. She's just arrived back into Jerusalem, uh, sorry, Bethlehem even. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty God has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. When the darkness fell for Naomi, it fell very hard. She had to bury her spouse and her two children, all within a period of 10 years. That is deep darkness. No wonder she changes her name from Naomi to Mara, from pleasant to bitter. No wonder she returns to Bethlehem and said, I'm empty. I used to be full, but now I'm empty. And you can imagine Naomi shouting at the top of her voice, why God, why me? Why have you allowed these things happen to me? Why? Why don't you do something? I'm part of your people. Rescue me. What are you doing? Just crying in the darkness. And perhaps you're a follower of the Lord Jesus and you're going through dark times. You feel like Naomi did in Ruth chapter 1. Empty and bitter. But even in Ruth chapter 1, the Lord is plotting for Naomi's good even in the darkness. Naomi cannot see it, but the Lord God is thinking a thousand, ten thousand moves ahead. Even though it's dark for Naomi in Ruth 1, the Lord is plotting for her good. And the great blessing of having Ruth in the Bible is that we find out the end of the story. We might be bitter and empty with Naomi in chapter 1, but we know what happens to Naomi in chapter 4, and that is a great encouragement. Because Boaz and Ruth get married, and when Ruth was back in Moab and married to Naomi's son, Marlon. She wasn't able to have any children. She endured the pain of childlessness for 10 years. But after her wedding to Boaz, the Lord enabled Ruth to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And just listen to what the women say, verse 14, back in chapter 4. 
Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you uh, has not left you without a guardian redeemer. She's talking to they're talking to Naomi. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And so back in chapter one, Naomi entered Bethlehem bitter and empty. But by the end of chapter four, she is full. And did you see verse 17, what the women say? The women live there said, Naomi has a son. No, she doesn't. In effect, she has a grandson because it's Ruth's son. But in effect, Obed is almost like a substitute son for Naomi. And the surprise of verses 14 to 17 is that there's a third guardian redeemer in the book of Ruth. The first one is Boaz. The second one is unnamed. The third one is Obed. Obed is Naomi's guardian redeemer. He will sustain Naomi in her old age. And so Ruth 1, Naomi was empty. But by Ruth 4, Naomi is full to bursting. And it is the Lord God who fills her up. It is the Lord who fills her up. And even in the darkness of chapter 1, the Lord God was plotting for Naomi's good and for his glory. And I'm sure there will be people here this evening who are in Ruth chapter 1 situationally. That you, are, you feel bitter and empty because of life circumstances. And I know it's hard to see through the darkness and the pain and the tears. But your heavenly father is plotting for your good even in the darkness. You may be in Ruth chapter 1. But Ruth chapter 4 is coming with all its fullness, with all its joy, and with all its happiness. There is hope, even in the darkness, even if you cannot see it. And so Ruth is saying, uh, the book of Ruth is saying, hang on. Hang on to that hope, even though you can't see it, even you can't feel it, even if you feel exactly the opposite. And that hope might not come in this life, for Naomi it did, Uh, with the birth of Obed, but the hope might actually come in the new heavens and the new earth where everything is reversed. All pain is taken away and healed. And all sadness is gone forever. And maybe if, if that's you going through those kind of times, maybe just trying to hang on to this hope uh, that God promises those who love him. Uh, just listen to one of the verses that, uh, from the hymn that we talked about a few weeks ago from William C- Cooper. This is what he wrote. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. So hold on. If you are in Ruth chapter 1, hold on. There is hope. God is plotting for your good even though you cannot see, even in the deepest of darkness. And maybe you're not someone who isn't going through deep darkness, but maybe you've got friends who are. And the message of Ruth for you is to try and to gently and uh, wisely comfort them in their darkness to say, look, I know it's hard. I know the darkness is very deep and it's very sad. I know that grief is very close and very painful. 
But it's not going to be like that forever. There's going to be a great reversal. Maybe your job is to to encourage others to keep on holding on to that hope. That hope of Ruth chapter 4 for those who are in Ruth chapter 1 at the moment. So third, God involves ordinary believers in his grand redemption plan. And so for most of the book book of Ruth, the author has used uh, close-up shots of, of people, of scenes... But in the final five verses, the author just begins to pull back the camera and the faces of uh, Naomi and Obed disappears. The camera pulls back from close up to wide angle and the wide angle shot begins to encompass not only space, but time as well. And we can see down the decades as Boaz becomes the father of Obed, verse 21, and Obed becomes the father of Jesse, verse 22, and Jesse becomes the father of David. And we see, as, as the Old Testament continues to pan backwards, we see this handsome and red-faced young man, David, on his coronation day as the Lord God and the nation of Israel anoint him king. And we see the golden age of Israel unfold as King David rules God's people in God's place, enjoying God's rule and blessing. And although the author of Ruth stops zooming out at David. The author of the Bible, God himself, continues to zoom out as we read the rest of the Bible. So instead of decades, we are seeing centuries go by until one starry night, a young woman lays a baby boy down in a manger in the town of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi, the town of Bethlehem. And the baby's name, name is not Obed, his name is Jesus. But like Boaz and Obed before him, Jesus is a guardian redeemer. In fact, he is the guardian redeemer uh, to all who put their trust in him and for everyone who puts their trust in him like Obed Jesus will renew their lives and will sustain them and just imagine the day Naomi passes away so sometime somewhere in Bethlehem she closes her eyes in death and the next moment uh, she opens her eyes in heaven and there standing before her is the Lord Jesus and he moves towards her and welcomes her with a big hug and he says well done my good and faithful servants. And he says, well, let's you know, walk with me for a while. And as they walk side by side across the lush green fields of heaven, Jesus explains, Naomi, I know you went through some really dark times. You know, your husband died. Your two sons died. But that happened so that you would repent and turn back to my heavenly father. And you and Ruth returned to Bethlehem. And Ruth married Boaz and bore your son Obed. But what you don't know, what you didn't see, what you couldn't know, is that Obed is going to have a grandson called David. He's going to become the greatest king of Israel. And thousands of years later, I'm going to go to earth as a baby. I'm going to be born as one of David's descendants. And you, Naomi, are going to be one of my ancestors. And I'm going to live a perfect life. And at the age of 33, I'm going to be convicted of crimes I didn't commit. And I'm going to die on the cross. And I'm going to die to pay for the sins of all the Old Testament Jewish believers like you, Naomi, and Boaz, and Ruth. And I'm also going to die for the sins of everyone who puts their trust in me afterwards as well. And millions of millions of people will be in heaven forever. And my heavenly Father and I have made you, Naomi, part of that redemption story, even though you didn't realize it. Even though you couldn't see it. Because you can only see a certain way forward. I can see for eternity. And Naomi was a very ordinary widow from the very ordinary town of Bethlehem. 
who had led a very ordinary life. And you know, if the book of Ruth hadn't made it into the Bible, if it never made the cuts into the Bible, then you'd never have heard of someone called Naomi. She is that ordinary. And yet, our Heavenly Father involved this very ordinary woman with this very ordinary life in his extraordinary redemption plan. And our Heavenly Father is working on the big meta scale of redeeming a people for himself through the sin-bearing death of Jesus on the cross. And even though his mind on this, is on this great plan of redemption, he still loves to weave ordinary people living in ordinary places into that plan. He loves to do that. And that is quite remarkable, isn't it? Normally, big, lead, big world leaders, powerful leaders, just think about the big scale and forget about the individual. But our Heavenly Father doesn't. He's got a big scale redemption plan, but he weaves ordinary people into that plan. Let me be honest, we're a church of very ordinary people, aren't we? I'm not sure there's going to be a huge amount of uh, prime ministers coming from City Church or uh, celebrities or social influencers. I could be wrong. Um, Maybe prove me wrong. But we live in a very ordinary city of Birmingham. Allegedly, when Queen Victoria went through Birmingham, she used to pull the the blind down on the train so you didn't have to see Birmingham. You know, Birmingham's not, you know, no one grows up and says, you know, when they're about five or six, they go to their mum and dad and go, Mum, Dad, one day I'm going to live in Birmingham. No one does that. Because Birmingham is a very ordinary city. And we live very ordinary, repetitive lives. We do very ordinary jobs. But our Heavenly Father still loves to weave weave ordinary people like us into his grand redemption plan. And I find that truth so encouraging. Because we can often conclude that the ordinariness of our lives makes our lives insignificant. Monday morning is coming with all its stresses and strains and mundaneness and boringness and repetitiveness. And that can just seem, oh, what, does it even matter? Is my life even significant? If I die today, would it matter that I even lived? But secretly and silently, our Heavenly Father is weaving us into his grand redemption plan. And we may not be able to see it now, but that's what he, he's doing. Because we think in days and weeks and years. He thinks in centuries and millennia and eternity. And who knows, when we make it to the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus may take us on a walk and tell us how he used our ordinary, insignificant lives in ordinary Birmingham as part of his grand redemption plan in ways that we can never see, never foresee, because it might come years later. Our lives matter because we're part of God's big picture. And this wonderful truth makes this quote uh, from the film Gladiator True. And in Gladiator it says, what we do in life echoes in eternity. And that is true because what we do in this life, ordinary uh, people that we are, God can use for extraordinary purposes. So as you go into your ordinary Monday morning tomorrow, you may not feel as if you're making any kind of difference. Your job might be very unexciting or repetitive. Uh, Your degree might be something that you think, oh, why did I choose this? And your attempts to tell others about Jesus may not have gone anywhere. They They might have come along to a carol service 
uh, or they might not, but uh, the conversations seem, seem to have dried up, and you think, uh, what's the point? But who knows what God is doing in and through you? We think in days, weeks maybe. God thinks in millennia, in eternity. And so years down the line, without you ever knowing, one of your colleagues, one of, maybe one of your students' uh, friends on your uh, hall's residence may remember your words and the consistentness, the ordinary consistentness of your godliness. And they may come and trust in Jesus as their God and Redeemer. And God may raise up one of their grandchildren or great-grandchildren to be someone who's a great preacher or missionary or whoever. And many may be saved through them. And it is all because you shared the gospel with them in your ordinary lives, in the ordinary way in Birmingham. And that is exciting. That gives our lives meaning and significance if we trust that our Heavenly Father weaves ordinary people into his extraordinary redemption plan. And so God uses ordinary believers to achieve extraordinary things in this world. And the encouragement as we look at those names at the end of Ruth that might look a bit boring, the encouragement is for us to trust that. that even though Monday morning might be a bit dull, even though you think that maybe you're a little bit insignificant and small, even though your plans of uh, becoming the best doctor or the, or the best uh, worker in your, uh, in your workplace might be thwarted, actually, God can use ordinary people like us for his extraordinary plan. So as the book of Ruth closes, our eyes are encouraged to lift up from our everyday circumstances towards the God that we worship. He is the God who sent his son, who is willing to pay a costly redemption price. He is the God who is plotting for our good, even in the darkest of times. And he is the God who involves ordinary believers in his grand redemption plan. Isn't Ruth a great book? Let's, uh, let's pray and worship him in prayer uh, now. Heavenly Father, we want to adore you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he is our guardian redeemer who redeems us by paying the price for our sins so that we can be transformed from your enemies into your friends. We think about the great cost that the Lord Jesus paid in blood for our redemption. Please stir our hearts in love and gratitude and adoration for him, our grace and mighty guardian redeemer. And we praise you for him and we adore you for him. And we pray all these things in his mighty name. Amen.